0: So today is pentecost sunday it's been 50 days since easter 50 days of riding the tide of christ rising 50 days of hearing dave swoon over his sweets and treats <laughs> of feasting in our backyards of remembering that our resurrection is coming soon because our resurrected lord is coming back soon but on this 50th day, we reach a pivot point in our liturgical calendar. We move from Eastertide to ordinary time. We move into the part of the liturgical calendar that emphasizes the mundanity of our ordinary lives. Our Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. We learn to live our lives Christianly in our apartments, neighborhoods, workplaces, schools, rock climbing gyms, favorite coffee shops, restaurants, pubs, and parks. We learn to live Christianly at awkward family dinners, on first dates that become funny stories that we tell at the next party, on road trips, (laughs) on road trips when We have to take a bathroom break every 45 minutes for that person. (laughs) On days when it seems too good to be true, and on days when life seems too dark to go on, in every moment in between. We learn to participate in God's redemptive story with each day of our life, which is simultaneously meager and eternally profound. We learn to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow Jesus into our Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. It's in ordinary time that we actually become the Christians we are supposed to be. But we have not yet quite arrived at that ordinary time. For we need to receive something, or more precisely, someone, for us to do what God has given us to do. We need to receive God. God the Son came to us in Christ, then Christ, Emmanuel, God with us ascended. Christ ascends to send us God, the Holy Spirit, so that, Christ, so that God would not just be with us, but be in us. So that we might be swept into the life of God, unleashing the communion, empowerment, and agency. We were always to experience. Friends, we need God. And today, on Pentecost Sunday, we remember when the Father and the Son has sent the Spirit to dwell in us, to empower us, to unify us in the life of God. In Acts chapter 2, we hear of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit is poured out onto the church, It depicts this crazy moment of sensory overload. Sounds like mighty rushing winds and things that look like tongues of fire. The sound and light show of Pentecost make Taylor Swift's sound and light show feel like the noise machine and nightlight you use to fall asleep. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is poured out onto the 120 men and women of faith and everything about this moment screams, Something supernatural is happening here. And the spectators look on to this moment and pose a question. The text says, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? A boy Eugene Peterson translates this question like this. What's going on here? And this is the question I want to ask you this morning. We are the church, and the spirit has been poured out upon us. So in our life together as the church, what's going on here? When our friend Nato looks us in the face and says, how are you? What were you up to this week? Don't forget, I'll be praying for you. What's going on here? When our friend Sydney shows up week after week, doing much of the unseen and uncelebrated setup and tear-down work for us to worship together, what's going on here? When our people's warden Isaac gets up to give an announcement, and our friends Hunter and Erica chuckle with excitement and whisper under their breath, "That's my warden." What's going on here? When our friend Delvin subversively reminds us Bostonians to think less and do more during coffee hour, what's going on here? When our friend Ashley serves as the ringleader of the Williamson Circus away before we send the kids into Powery Hall, helping Kelly corral Jude, Malachi and Leon, and Pete. What's going on here? When our friends David, Lexi, Ingrid, Jesse, Heather, and Emily gather together before the service, before church service, and muster up all the faith they can to intercede for us. What's going on here? When our faithful Pastor Dave stands at the front doors at the end of the service to greet each of us, making sure each of us feels seen. What's going on here? Friends, in our life together, what's going on here? Or in other words, what is the Spirit doing among us? And this morning, by moving from Genesis to Acts to Revelation, what I want to prove to you is that what's happening here is that through the Spirit, God is making us a people of singularity and plurality. Let me say that again, through the Spirit, God is making us a people of singularity and plurality. Yes, God is making us both unity and diversity, oneness and many, sameness and particularity. God is not making us a people who are simply the same. And God is not making us a people who are solely different. Rather, through the Spirit, God is making us a people of singularity and plurality. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter one, we'll begin in verse 26. Genesis one speaks of the first creation account and in this epic, God speaks and creates something out of nothing and on the sixth day, God creates his pinnacle creation, a dawn. The text declares, Then God said, let us make man, which is translated from the Hebrew word Adam, in our image and after our likeness. The word Adam is a singular noun. It's best translated as a singular collective noun, like humanity or humankind. It sees all of God's pinnacle creatures in a single category. It sees all of humanity as humanity, all people as people. All Adam are made in God's image after God's likeness. Then God gives Adam the same vocation. Together, they are all to have dominion over the rest of creation. God sees Adam in singularity, same quality, made in the image and likeness of God. Same vocation, rulers over the rest of creation. God sees us in singularity. But the text goes on. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. After describing humanity's singularity, the text, speaks of Adam's plurality, difference, diversity. Male and female, God created them. Interwoven into the fabric of our humanity is human difference. Male and females are not the same. We're different. But look at this. In their difference, they maintain singularity. Verse 28. And God blessed them, all of them. And God said to them, all of them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over everything that moves on the earth. God gives all Adam, male and female, the same commandments. Be fruitful, multiply, have dominion. For we were meant to be, a paradoxical people, a people of both singularity and plurality. Both are necessary for us to be who we were always meant to be. But then, sin enters the world and distorted all creation. Humanity's story, Or better put, our story of singularity and plurality continues in Genesis chapter 11 with the story of the Tower of Babel. We wanted more. It wasn't enough for us just to be God's pinnacle creatures. We wanted to be God. So together we began to seem, let us build ourselves a city, a tower, with its top in the heavens, let us make a name for ourselves. Here the text emphasizes that humanity was singularity without plurality. Verse 1 states the whole earth had one language and the same words. Diagnosing the problem, God speaks, behold they are one people and they have all they all have one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. In a world plagued by sin, humanity became a people of singularity without plurality. Then, in God's kind judgment, God intervened. God moved them to become the people of plurality without singularity, but this was not plan A. This was not how things were supposed to go. There was still something profoundly troubling about humanity. They were not fully themselves. They lived in a world where they were either singularity without plurality or they were plurality without singularity. But they were supposed to be both. A people of singularity and plurality. But watch this. This is pretty cool. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. The story of Pentecost. The mere opposite of the Tower of Babel. Here we see the intersection of the nations: Jews and Jewish converts from all over the known world, from every nation under heaven, intersect in Jerusalem. At the very beginning, we hear uh, at the very beginning of the story, we hear of humanity's plurality. We hear of Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, uh, Cretans and Arabians. People of different homelands, languages, ethnicities, cultures, traditions, likes and dislikes. People of different worldviews, experiences, challenges, bodily particularities and preferences. We see a dawn, humanity, intersecting in its diversity. In this context, we hear these crazy words. And they, the 120 Jesus followers, the 120 men and women of faith were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking
1: Galileans?
0: (laughs) And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Here, we began to see the restoration of singularity and plurality, unity and diversity sameness and difference. Each in their own particularity are swept into the unity, the unity found in being God's very own people. What we see, if we keep reading, is that each hears the message of Christ in their own heart language. Through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, they find themselves bound together in the Spirit through the life, death, resurrection, and promised return of Christ. The defining factor of these people was not a lack of a particular sin or sinful desires, a socioeconomic category, cultural norms or practices, political allegiances, or a quality of being in the world. Rather, it was God's atoning work. Contrary to the teachings of Michael Scott from The Office, pizza is not the great equalizer. God is. Those who are far off from God are brought into the life of God, the relationship of God through the work of Christ and the filling of the Spirit. We do not choose God's people. God does. God is the one building God's church. We are simply participants. And here we see God choosing Adam. God is restoring Adam to who Adam was supposed to be, a people of singularity and plurality. Historical theologian Husto Gonzalez notes this about the early church. Quote, the church, which many Christians called a new race, because it drew its members from all races, was living proof of the universal unity of humankind. End mm-hmm. quote. Through the Spirit, God is making us. A people of singularity and plurality. But our full restoration of becoming the people we were always meant to be will only find its fulfillment in Christ's eternity. We get a glimpse of this in Revelation 7. John reports that in his Revelation he saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, tribe, and people, and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, They were all clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were all shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the land. This is our end, our telos, the future that's to come for those who trust in the work of Jesus. In our own particularity, with every fiber of our being, we will be fully submitted to Jesus Worshiping together, proclaiming in unity, salvation comes from our God, who sits on the throne and struggles. But between Acts and Revelation are 21 letters, 21 epistles showing us that we are still a work in progress. We are still working out our salvation. We are still surely situated in the already not yet. God's work is not yet. God is still making us a people of singularity and plurality. So the question that you and I are left with is how do we respond? What do we do in the meantime? Knowing that God is making us a people of singularity and plurality, how do we participate in the work of our Lord? I think the answer is found in Acts chapter 2. The text says they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. What's interesting about the miracle of Pentecost is that it's not a miracle of hearing. Rather, it's a miracle of speaking. The onus was not on the hearers, it was on the speakers. The church was given what it needed to speak the heart language of others. The spectators of Pentecost declare in amazement, these people are all from Galilee, yet we hear them in our own native languages. Listen to the language of the text. The church was filled and the Spirit gave them. The church did not have what it needed Um, The church did not have what it needed. They needed to position themselves as humble and desperate recipients in order to speak the heart language of other people. Dr. Willie Jennings comments, quote, Speak a language, speak a people. God speaks people fluently. And God, with all the urgency that is with the Holy Spirit, wants the disciples of His only begotten Son to speak people fluently, too. This is the beginning of a revolution that the Spirit performs. Like an artist drawing on all her talents to express a new way to live, God gestures the deepest joining possible. One flesh with God, and desire made one with the Holy One, end quote. The Son of God came into the world, put on flesh, became like you and me to reveal God's self to us, to speak the language of people. Jesus was tempted in every way you and I are tempted. He felt what we felt. We he felt what we feel, and he loved with flesh. With every breath he breathed through his nostrils, with every heartbeat in his chest, with every neuron fired, with every hug given and received, with every word of Aramaic and Hebrew spoken, he was speaking the language of people. He was speaking the language of an other. He was speaking the language of you and me. Now you and I, the church, being filled with the Spirit, are swept into Mm -hmm. the mission of speaking the language of people, Mm -hmm. of others, Mm -hmm. with the message Mm -hmm. that Jesus Christ is redeeming the whole world. Mm -hmm. But in order for us to do this, we must position ourselves as humble and desperate recipients. Mm -hmm. In other words, With the Spirit, we must learn how to listen in order to speak. This is the first step of of us participating in the work that the Spirit is doing among us. This may sound simple, but it's some of the most challenging work we will engage in as a church. Because here's the deal. True listening demands us humbling ourselves, positioning ourselves as desperate recipients, making space for an other. True listening demands that we negate our predetermined agendas, our selfish ambition, the comfort of our preset worldviews and ways. True listening is vulnerable because it demands that we open ourselves up to. And other. In our last few minutes, I want to offer us a word of reflection and warning, and I want to offer us two practices that may be helpful as we learn to speak the language of people with the Spirit. First, a word of reflection and warning. Our current cultural moment is driven by tribalism, where those who are alike, are seen as an ally, and difference is the enemy. Whether we are conscious of it or not, we are placed within societal systems that form the way we think, feel, and experience the world. Whether we know it or not, we are being formed to think that those who are alike should be friends, and those who are different are foes. We are being formed to be a people of singularity without Two and a half years ago, when I first arrived at Church of the Cross, we were searching for a new rector. We were searching for Dave. We sent out a poll to survey the types of people who call our church home. And at that time, over 60% of our church had a master's degree or higher. (laughs) Y'all, I know we live in Boston, but that's insane. (laughs) And I bet that number has gone up because your boy just got a master's degree. But if we were to be brutally honest with ourselves and take a self-assessment, I wonder if we would conclude that we have fallen for the trap of preferring singularity without plurality. Many of us are academics use that term loosely and artists many of us sit in the same socioeconomic category and hold similar levels of education although we may not be conscious of it many of us have an abundance of options and resources available to us many of us experience and participate in the world in a similar way and from an outsider's perspective one may categorize our church as a church predominantly filled with upper middle class, predominantly white, politically moderate, or agnostic, able bodied, well educated academics and artists. One question we may need to ask ourselves is whether we have moved from a church composed of academics and artists to a church for academics and artists. Okay. Have we gotten comfortable only speaking the heart language of people who speak our own heart? Perhaps with a spirit of curiosity and an eagerness to repent, we may need to ask ourselves the question, what's going on here? I don't have all the answers. What I do know is God is faithful, the Spirit is working, and we can participate in God's redemption by becoming a people who learn to speak the heart language of others. But but remember, in order for us to learn how to speak the heart language of others, we must position ourselves as humble and desperate recipients. So I want to leave us with two practices that the Spirit may use to expand our capacity to become a people of both singularity and plurality. First, many of us are learners. We're avid readers, podcast listeners, and documentary bingers. When you get home from church today, I want you to examine who your influencers are. Make a list of the authors you read, the podcasters you listen to, and the artists who move your heart. Many of you might be in the same boat I'm in. Having just finished a degree at an evangelical seminary, most of my influences have been white men. So during this upcoming Ordinary Time, I'm committed to making space to listen intentionally to the heart language of other, of non-white men. I want to be committed to listening to voices that will help me listen. I want to be committed to listening to the voices that will help me listen to those in orders who speak a different heart language than I do. And I want to invite you to do the same. Evaluate who you listen to. And if you find yourself listening to a narrow range of voices, commit yourself to listening to voices outside your norm this ordinary time. For most of us, this probably means intentionally listening to people who are not white men. I'm not saying we shouldn't listen to white men. What I am saying is we listen to them a lot. (laughs) Lastly, after the 2016 election, two Asian-American women from Seattle, Justine Lee and Shria Chang, were dumbfounded by the election results. They were so confused by how a person could come to the conclusion to vote for Donald Trump. But there was a problem. They didn't know anybody who voted for Trump. They couldn't ask anyone. So they came up with this idea. What if we were to invite a group of people over for dinner? Some who voted for Trump and others who didn't? And what if we all ate together? And what if we listened to what one another had to say? What if something beautiful and delightful happened? What if we made America dinner again? (laughs) Justine and Tria began a movement called Make America Dinner Again, where people hosted dinners with people who saw and experienced the world differently than they did, and learn how to listen to the heart language of an other. Church of the Cross, we are a people of Jesus' table, guests of the Divine Master, people who dine on grace week after week. Maybe what we need is to begin listening to guests at the table we don't naturally gravitate towards. Or maybe we need to learn to listen to others who are not yet at Jesus' table so that we may learn how to express to them that Christ has made space for them at His table too. What if we made Church of the Cross dinner again? What if we made it a point to dine and dialogue with those who look, vote, and see the world differently than we do? What if we copy Jesus and dined in dialogue with people who were different from us. So to conclude, let's go back to our question of the day. What's going on here? Here, through the Spirit, God is making us Church of the Cross, a people of singularity and plurality. May we learn to listen so that we may speak the heart language of other people with the message that Christ is redeeming the whole world. May it be so. Amen.